Yeah, what's going on? I'm going to do the soul school. This is your man, Supreme Bay King, author, educator, digital music entrepreneur. You're listening to my man, LC and Jack, and my man, Cornbread. Check out the LC and Jack show. You know what I'm saying? You can tune in, turn on, and learn something. Peace. Listening to the LC and Jack Radio Show live from New York. And now, here are your hosts, LC and Jack. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the LC and Jack Radio Show with your man LC holding it down. Give us a shout here in the studio. You can reach us at area code 347-843-4738. LC and Jack Radio Show, up close and personal, Urban Talk Radio. Well, before we get the show kicked off here, I must um, dedicate this show to Mr. Rodney King. I tell you, um, I must say the different strives and struggles that this man had gone through, how unfortunate, but I think us as a country, us as a world, uh, did benefit uh, to make this a better place. So, uh, again, rest in peace to Mr. Rodney King, and you will not be forgotten. And um, also a big up and a speedy recovery to uh, a woman that's holding it down. She constantly is the ultimate, ultimate role model, Miss Robin Roberts of Good Morning America. She is sick right now, but uh, we know that she's going to have a speedy recovery, and I look forward to her continuing to do what she loves to do on a regular basis for many, 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 many more years to come. So, Big up to her, and big up to you, our listeners. We appreciate your support over the years, and you continue to support as the show grows and evolves. We welcome input from you, so feel free. Hit us up, as you know, on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and um, hit us up on email, lcnjack at gmail.com. So I'm not going to keep you waiting we do have our guest this evening on the line and ready to roll. This evening, uh, our guest is an author, rapper, multi-platinum selling producer, film director, panelist, and keynote speaker. He's also written some top-selling books as well, which is, which is all good. Some of those books are Gotta Get Signed, How to Become a Hip-Hop Producer, Surviving the Game, how to succeed in the music business, and, dude, can I help you? 18 mistakes artists make and how to fix them. His passion, though, is in education. Supreme currently holds a master's degree in media design and technology. Wow, that's, that's what I'm talking about. 
and is now is on his way to a doctorate in education technology. There is uh, so many more achievements that this gentleman has accomplished. We are so happy to welcome to the LC and Jack radio show, Mr. Supreme Aaron King. Well, hello hey, there, Supreme. How are you there, my brother? What's going on, brother LC? How are you? And uh, greetings and blessings to all the listeners out there. Uh, it's definitely a major, major privilege to be on this show. I'm very humbled by the work that you guys are doing and, you know, the uh, reception that you get from your audience is incredible. So I just say keep doing what you're doing. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you taking that time, you know, taking some time at a busy schedule and, and, and just trying to enlighten our listeners, let them know a little bit about the struggle, but more importantly, you know, how you're making a difference here on this planet. You know, since we've been here, we were only here for a, a period of time, and no one obviously doesn't know how long we will be here. So you can't take each day for granted. And, um, you know, you again, you've, you've, I'm kind of jumping the gut, but I tell you, you're just doing some fabulous things. And, again, keep keep on keeping on, my brother, because it only gets better. So with that, uh, we, we kind of, I kind of ran down a lot of the different books, though. I guess we'll start there. That you've written, and okay. you know, give us an idea. You know how that all came to fruition. Now, why books? Well, I guess. Well, I kind of looked at it from. I'm in the music business since probably about 1985, 87. I kind of got my official start, but 85. Um, you know, more or less, I've been. You know, I'm from Long Island. I'm from Amityville and Wine Dance, New York. Um, I grew up. You know, watching. Right, you know, crews and backyard parties and, you know, DJing and the whole nine. And, you know, I kind of went up through the ranks and hung out with a lot of, you know, um, the famous and infamous rappers from Long Island. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's quite a few. Um, you know, I, I really jumped into the literary game because I was, you know, sitting in Barnes & Noble one time and I looked at, you know, looked around, I saw all these books around me and I said, well, nobody's written a book about the topic that, I, that I'm thinking about. But more or less, you know, nobody is really bootlegging books. I mean, I've, you know, spent a lot of time in the music industry, and anywhere you go, you're going to see the bootleg copy. Now, you know, you have the downloadable copy, but back in the day, you know, you go to Manhattan, you go to Atlanta, you know, mm -hmm. Detroit, Chicago, L.A., you see the guy on the street peddling, you know, I got the CDs, my friend. So that guy, you know, he's, he's making a killing off of your new your new joint. So, I, you know, when I part of the ideology behind it was like, well, ain't nobody gonna take time to bootleg a book. I mean, that's, you know, that takes some serious commitment to bootlegging. You gotta, mm -hmm. you know, you gotta find a printer, and you, you know, Kinkos is only gonna let you do so much. So I figured that was always a safe, you know, uh, choice to make a way or way to make income. But to back up the story a little bit. When I got into the music business, I was a rapper. I was a DJ and a rapper first. Had a rap group back in the day in Atlanta. You know, we kind of came up um, when, you know, Jermaine Dupree and Dallas Austin were doing their things. And these guys are good friends to me back then. Everybody was trying to make it. And these guys kind of had, you know, a stranglehold on Atlanta. And they were breaking the doors down for a lot of artists. And we were busy shopping our stuff from Atlanta in New York. So we end up getting a record deal with RCA BMG. We go up to um, New York 
for whatever, you know, and there's a thousand reasons why it didn't work out. Um, we ended up getting stuck with holding the bag for some money they, they gave us. Mm. So instead of giving back the money, because, you know, first of all, you give three brothers from the hood some cash. <laughs> <laughs> we I get it. About hey, there ain't no return policy there. So right. <laughs> needless to say, um, I had wrote the majority of the um, album and produced almost every track on the album, in fact. Um, I had a couple of co-producers, but, you know, no name, but, you know, just basic stuff. So I came up with the idea, well, you know what, since the group was breaking up, well, how about I part out the album? So I started working with um, a couple of artists on uh, RCA BMG, messed around with uh, Tyler Collins back in the day, she submitted a couple of remixes. Didn't get too far with that. I worked with a brother named Cooley Live. Um, we started working on some stuff. I worked with a cat named uh, Dean Goodtime Gibbs, uh, Gibson, and he's from, he was like the rapper on the Executioner's album, but this dude was the assistant A&R, mm-hmm. and he actually me get signed with SWV, so I started working with SWV, and I basically lifted the song Black Pudding from my album and put it on there. Really? It changed, it changed up the word. Um, it, it was actually supposed to be a song where Taj uh, was just supposed to do the rap, not me. I actually ended up going in the studio and kind of laid down the guy track for her to follow. And it just kind of ended up being a duet for whatever reason. And it just, in my opinion, I mean, apparently that they sold 3.5 million albums. I assume that other people thought it worked as well. So, oh, there's no um, doubt about it. So now I've, I've suddenly have become... A music producer, and I have no idea what the heck that is. I, I have no. Idea. <laughs> All I know is, though, I make I make beats. i you know, that's like my mentality back then. I'm like, yo, son, I make beats. You know, I got a drum machine, I got samplers <laughs> and some other stuff. I don't know what what, what it does, but I spent most of my money at Sam Ash Music buying equipment. So I figured, you know, hey, I got to figure out what a music producer does. And in the course of my journey, I've had people tell me, like, at one point, a guy who was a major engineer um, in the music game, especially hip-hop and R&B, he told me to my face, he's like, Supreme, you have no reason on God's green earth being a music producer. You suck. You shouldn't be doing this. Wow. You know, and, and the the wine dance side wanted to come out just like, <laughs> him well, Supreme... Uh, yeah, I'm here. I know you were you were talking talking a little bit about uh, publishing, and why don't you continue with your thoughts? Okay, well, w- you know, we were talking about the competitiveness of being in the you know the publishing space, especially for new writers. I think um, we're we're living in an age where you can be a digital entrepreneur, and and I mean I'm you know the first uh, subscriber of my own advice. I mean, a, a few years after uh, my book was published in 05, I want to say by 07 when it really started making, you know, picking up a lot of momentum in that traditional, you know, marketing and distribution channel, I realized, wow, I'm getting pimped straight up. I mean, you know, the, the amount of money, even though it, w- it was a better deal than all of the other deals I was offered, right? It, still, I'm a slave. You know, I, I'm still getting a you know middle school skill amount in comparison to what the um the publisher is getting in fact and 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 here's the funny thing about it is they really didn't 
incur a lot of upfront costs because, I mean, other than really going back and doing a second edit, they really didn't do anything. I mean, I delivered them a book that was, you know, completely written, um, edited, professionally edited. The book cover was done. I mean, I already had sales, already had a fan base. I just kind of handed them the ball and said, hey, you know what, get me in some distribution channels that I wouldn't be able to have access to as a civilian, so to speak. Would you say, um, and it's basically like you were saying, it, just like the music game as far as you, know, you have a product and they're basically going to put it out to the masses for you. So it's the same yeah, in the publishing game. Well, that, that's what I was, you know, I was hoping, and they did, and, you know, not to, 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 you know, say anything about about what they did, but I think for a lot of different reasons, because the book was unique, and no one had really written a book on the same on that topic or the way that I wrote it, they kind of had something, you know, unique and special, and they really lacked the experience in that marketplace. You know, mm-hmm. yet they they've been you know doing books for a hundred years, but they had never done a book like mine. So you know, I it was up to me to get myself into the source and you know Blackbeat and uh, XXL and DJ Times and magazines like that. I had to go out and do that. And what what made it a lot easier for me than most people was that I'm a writer, and I was smart enough from being in the music business for so long that when you send a product. You, you know, when you send something to somebody and you say, hey, I need you, I, I'm I'm seeking your help for something. Well, you mm-hmm. want to make it as easy and turnkey as possible. So when I would, you know, want to be in a magazine, I say, hey, well, here's a copy of the book. The, I've already, here's, a, you know, excerpts of, you know, parts that I'd like to talk about or, you know, so that they make their life easier. Kind of like a cheat sheet. Um, I would send them professionally done uh, pictures and I would send them, an article say hey i read i written this article exclusively for your magazine about this topic in the music industry this is right now a hot topic so i would send all of this to them in a package and now really all they have to do is just say okay mm-hmm. you know there there really isn't a lot to to to, to discuss there so in in essence i've kind of did all the heavy lifting so now it's much easier for me to make you know an impression on them saying, hey, wow, this guy's really got his stuff together. Let's work with him. Right, and that's, that's you know, good. And, and, and because, you know, a lot of people get in the music business or any type of entertainment and they, they think that, you know, people are going to be beating down their door to work with them and just kind of deliver everything on a, you know, on a cart. And that's not going to happen. So <laughs> I, I think for people trying to get into the publishing game, my best suggestion is do it, do it yourself. I mean, after um, my initial book, I decided to open up my own publishing company, and I don't have to sell a million books. I, I only need to sell, you know, ten to thirty thousand to make, you know, millions. So it doesn't difference to me. Yeah, the, 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 the power, the power of the internet. You're basically telling people, hey, look, just like in the music game, you basically have the, the distribution channel over the internet. Yeah. You just got to go out and market well, I mean, your, your product. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just that you're in, you're in, you're in the marketing business. No no doubt about it. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're selling toothpicks or you're selling cars in the marketing business. But I find that when I'm talking to people, and especially just 
uh, I want to say even younger people, just people in general who have no real business acumen, they, you know, the, and I have, you know, tons of close friends and relatives and people always call me, hey, man, you know, you, you're always doing something. You know, well, I, I have this idea, and, you know, what should I do? Well, when in regards to publishing, first of all, nobody's interested in your life story. That's first and foremost. Does <laughs> anybody who's listening, who are you? Nobody cares. Did you right? Believe me, I'm, I'm not saying this to be, you know, a jerk. I'm saying this because I already did. I already tried this. Nobody cares who I am. They don't care right. about my struggle. Everybody's got a struggle. Everybody's been through some stuff. Your story is no better than anybody. What you need right. to do in order to sell anything is create value. Why is what you're saying valuable? What? And and here's the thing. People need to understand the basic dynamic of human nature. Uh, a pimple on on my on my nose is more important to me than you starving and living in the street. That's how people think, unfortunately. So yeah. when you address mm-hmm. somebody and you're trying to sell something, you got to say, well, not what's in it, in it for me, but what's in it for them? What are they getting out of it? Right. Yeah, I got to tell my, my, my life story, and I walked up to school, you know, to school 20 miles uphill both ways in snow and barefoot, and, you know, there was 20 of us, and we slept in the same bed. But nobody cares about that. They care right. about what value are you providing to them. And once you they bought into you as the leader, as that person, now they're going to buy into your message because you're giving them something. And people always want, they want to know what's in it for them, so... You know, when it comes to writing books or publishing or, you know, uh, music or anything, entertainment, people want to know what are they getting out of it? What am I getting? What do I get? That's right. What's in it for me, baby? Yes, sir. (laughs) Gentlemen, that is the world that we live in. So, you know, anybody who's trying to break into the game, you have to find a niche. Find something that is unique that no one else has ever done, ever tried. And, you know, they say there's no new things under the sun, and there's not. But you can, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but if you can find a way to make that wheel do something different or look a different way or, you know, perform a different way, people, you know, will buy into that. And then you find where those people live. If you made a wheel that's pink, then you go out and you find where all the people who like pink wheels where they go, where they shop, what they do, what they, you know, what they eat, you know, what kind of money do they make, what neighborhood do they live in. You find out all those things, and then you sell to just them. You know, it's when people try to say, well, you know, I hear rappers tell me all the time, well, I'm like, well, who's your audience? Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Are you telling me my grandmother, who's 86 years old, and you just bust out, you know, she's going to go out to, to black, uh, what's it, uh, uh, I can't even think of the places in New York, but anymore I'm so uh, out of touch with that. But you know, she ain't gonna go online to iTunes and download your newest joint. Eh? That's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it's yeah, one of those kind up, of things. And yeah, you bring up great points. I think, like you said, a lot of people don't realize the work, the research that needs to be done when you you, you know you're trying to be successful. In whatever endeavor you're doing, you just you have to do your homework, and you got to make some mistakes. I think you, you said that. Look, hey, you got to make some mistakes, but everyone everyone's going to make mistakes. It's just trying to set up a game plan and sticking to it, and hard work pays off. I think. Uh, well, well, LC, you just hit the nail on the head. You know, a game plan, and that's 
really where I find there is the biggest disconnect to reality. And I'm talking about people in my own family, friends, you know, people I've, I've met. I've had, the funny thing is that it's been almost, I want to say it's a little over 20 years that I've been in the music industry, and I've had the same conversations for 20 years. You know, wow. people say, well, hey, I want to, I, I got a record label and I got this. And I said, well, first, okay, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Let's talk about your business plan. And then the room goes yep. silent. Dead <laughs> What's oh, that? What do you mean a business plan? <laughs> I said, well, you have a business plan, right? You're following your business plan. I need one of those. I said, then you're not in business. Well, then you're in the monkey business because, you know, if you're going to have a lemonade stand, you need a business plan, right? Oh, right. yeah. I said, well, where is it? Well, we haven't written it out. Well, that's great. So how do you know if you're on target? I don't know. So how do you know what you're supposed to be doing? I don't know. And, I mean, I hear this from people telling me, you know, from mobile car washes to, you know, people hit me off with, yo, man, I got that, I got a multi-million dollar uh, idea, and we can, you know, if you put some money. I'm like, come on, brother, really? You know, show me the business plan. I mean, I'd be pleased if you whipped out a napkin and showed me on a, you know, on a napkin that was folded <laughs> up in your pocket. <laughs> That's the plan. But the, the whole, the plan is in my head thing. You're planning to fail. So there is no conversation after that. It's like, I mean, even right now to this point, I've been doing this for so long. I have a business plan in my wallet. That's All the good. time. Always got a plan on me because at the end of the day, I can go back and say, okay, this didn't work. Because in order to be an expert in anything, you must first invest 10,000 or more hours in it. Then you must make every possible conceivable mistake so you don't make any mistakes anymore. Mm-hmm. And and then you become an expert. And even then, there's still more to learn. There's always growth. There's always changing, evolution, development, metamorphosis. The whole, you know, you name it, the term. It's it's an ever-changing entity. So without having that foundation, that core, that business plan, you got nothing, no matter what you do. Yep, yep. You know, you're definitely right about that. And we we really didn't touch. I know you t- we touched a little bit on your books, which which I love. I mean, you brought up a great point because I think everybody, myself included, kind of uh, uh, you know got themselves somewhat into the music business. And you know, when you were saying about the very little books, I was just like nod my head and like it was right on. So I mean, you just you hit on some 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 big things and. And and you just decided to create that market, and I tell you, man, that's that's what it's all about. And sometimes it's not recreating the, the you know the wheel, you know, it's a need, and it's like wow, it's just somebody thinks about it and they do it, and they you know they make money. So it's um, and and I do believe that you know we're all here to make a difference in some capacity, and you know you have the power to pen. Which is which is a lot of power. So, whatever you are creative in, and we all are creative, you know, you just sit back and think, you know, how can I, how can we, or how can I make that difference? And I think what's important, though, and I think you said this, is that whatever you do, you have to enjoy whatever you do. Though it can't be like a grind for you, where, you know, I just gotta, I just gotta do this just to make the money. I think you have to really enjoy. 
whatever it is that you're getting involved with or, you know, that you, that, you, know, that you have a passion for. I think once you have oh, that, I think once you have that, like you and, and you, you basically laying this down is, it's so you love to do it. It's you know, it's not a grind really. You know, it's like oh, I, I got to get the hustle on, but it's it's all good because I know it's going to pay off. Yeah, because here is the, one of the other issues is that when you ask someone, well, why the why? Well, you know, why? Why are you doing this? What is the point behind all this? And if the first thing they say. Is money, fame, recognition, then, you know, you already, it's already a recipe for failure. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's right. Because I, it, it, if you're not in it for, you know, I love this. This is, you know, who I am, and I feel that I have something to offer. I, I exhibit value. You know what I mean? It's like, there's something valuable. I knew what I was doing. I knew I would make some money. I right. never could really imagine, you know, how much. But for me, it was, I was kind of a little pissed off that, one, no one had ever done it. Two, that, you know, it was so difficult for me. And, you know, and I understand it has to be, there always has to be a first. There always has to be, you know, a pioneer. I mean, I would have hated to have been that guy that discovered fire because he probably burned up. You know, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was watching an episode of Lost and... You know, they were talking about the guy who invented dynamite. and they, I mean, who discovered nitroglycerin for dynamite. And they said, you never heard of him because he blew himself up. Mm-hmm. And it was his lab assistant who, you know, who said, well, hey, it, this apparently works. But, you know, sometimes you have to be that person. And that, and sometimes that person, you don't get the fame, the money, or, or recognition that you deserve. But you get the, the, the feeling of, I made a difference. And at the end of the day, for me... When I wrote my book, I only wrote it to make it easier for the next guy. Right. So he, he didn't way. have to go through. Yeah. So so he didn't have to go through all the. You know, I I've you know I've had a lot of no's and a lot of failures and a lot of heartache and and pain along in my journey, and I'm not bitter about it any at at all. In fact, I wouldn't have done it any other way because I was able to see. You know the inside of what the music business is all about. Mm-hmm. And that taught me a lot about life, taught me a lot about myself, a lot about business in general. But, you know, people lose sight of the fact that it's a business. It's right. nothing else. It's just a business. It has nothing to do with nothing. Believe me, if we were back in the times of, you know, um, uh, Shakespeare, Jay-Z and P. Diddy would be just as poor as Shakespeare and all those other guys. Mm-hmm. There was no, you know, there was no business to that. It was just that was your craft. If you were a you know a, a, a blacksmith, that was your craft. If you were a poet, hence your craft. So you know you have to go into it saying, well, you know what, I have something here that's special that people are gonna it's gonna make them feel better. It's gonna make them you know have evoke some type of feeling or empower them in some sort of way. Then you're on the right track. But if you say, well, I'm gonna make a million bucks, you'll never make that million bucks. And even if you do get lucky enough to make that million bucks, it'll never satisfy you. Right. And I'm telling you, and I'm saying this from first-hand experience. You know, most of the things that my, my, my followers think about, I already thought about and already been through and had got mud in my eye and pie in my face behind. Wow. Now, let me ask you this. You, you, you come, you rolled out, you get a hit. 
on on an album SWV, New Group SWV. You make thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, it obviously changed your life. It, it it gave you obviously instant gratification. Would would you and 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 maybe you could talk on this. What and and you have these books, but for those listeners now that you know they, they you know they're going to try to get the bootleg on the book. They don't want to spend the money to support you. But yeah, well, good luck on that. Cause they ain't gonna find it. And if they want it, here's the thing. This one thing about me: if you want my book, don't bootleg it. I'll give it to you for free. Oh, there you go. I give you everything I got for free. I don't have a problem with that. If you, you know, you really can't afford my book, or you don't, you know, and it, and when you once you're reading this, you feel like you you want to pay me some money at that point, then great. If you don't, okay. But you know, as long as you got the knowledge, that's really what I what I do it for. Money, the money takes care of itself. Right. You know, at the end of the day, if you're interested and you want to read it, I mean, I give books away for free all all the time. All I ask is that that person share the book with somebody else. And, you know, if you like the book, give me some great feedback. If you think the book sucks, don't just tell me it sucks. Tell me why. Help me be help me serve you better. Tell me why it sucks. If you go to McDonald's and your fries suck, you're going to tell it. You ain't going to have no problem with going back and throwing them over the counter at the lady, right? That's right. So, <laughs> same with me. Tell me... You know, hey, this is this was the the worst book I ever got for free. Well, then, thank you, and that's awesome. But why is the worst book? What is it missing? What did you need that I didn't provide? And that's really what it's all about. Help me get better. Right. You know, help now, me serve you. Now you hear a lot about uh, these stories, and I think uh, we 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 talked kind of offline about you know you basically had all your publishing and and you know your writer's credit, and you kept that. Speak a little bit, if you can, briefly. I know you have this in the book, but briefly about that process and how lucrative, if you you know, if you keep your publishing, that could be for an artist. Well, I mean, if you're an artist and you don't give up your publishing rights, if you give up your publishing rights, I mean, publishing is a very, very, um, I wouldn't say difficult to understand, but there's a lot of made up and BS components to it. I mean, you can mm-hmm. make it really simple, but it, it, it appears that because record companies are, you know, they were put together to design and designed to basically cheat the artists and make them slaves. And I hate to say this, but it is the, you know, the God's honest truth. There's a lot of language in there that's confusing. It's purposely made to mislead you. So to, to make it real simple, with publishing, you mm-hmm. have a two shares um, you have the publisher share, you have the writer share. A writer would, you know, mean writer composer. So basically, on that side of the house, it's the people who made the music. They're the guy who made the track, the guy who wrote the song. Right. Usually, you know, in some cases they're one and the same. And yes. if you know, if an artist is a public, I mean, is a uh, composer or a writer, they, you know, the artist is that person. Sometimes it may be the, you know, the writer is the artist and then the producer is a, a different person. But mm-hmm. either way, that's one side of, of the house. So that's 50% of that public performance royalty. Now, what is meant by public performance is that any time that the song is played anywhere, from a strip club, a bar, restaurant, radio station, um, video games, background music, internet streaming, Anywhere that it can be 
you know, documented that this is this song is played, there is a certain royalty that is um, you know, created by this. So what happens is that you're able to take part in that in that monies that are the monies that are coming in if you are registered with a performing rights society, we call them pros, performing rights organizations. Um, there's ASCAP, SEAC, BMI, ASCAP and BMI being like the most popular. What mm-hmm. they do is that they create a, a blanket license and they go out and they tell, hey, restaurant owner, since you play music in your restaurant, you have to have a license from us to play this music. So every month, you must give us money as a subscription. Those monies get divided up depending on who is getting the most play and a whole bunch of other BS that really doesn't make any sense. Monies get distributed. Right. What happens on the other side is that the publisher is the label. And the label controls, the publisher controls the entity of the music, where it's getting played. So the, the label can say, hey, well, we've cut this deal with, with um, Sony Pictures, and it's going to play in this movie. But this is the deal. Or we can send it to Rockstar Video Games or whoever, and they cut the deal. So they're getting half of the money um, derived from this because they get a check, too. Right. But they haven't done anything. Right. I mean, in some cases, they get you some deals, but if your song is hot enough, for example, today I watched the movie uh, Madagascar 3 with, with, with two of my children, my youngest children, and right. they're singing the song, I like the movie. We know that move, that song came out about 90, 1994, 93. The group was called Real to Real. I hated it then. I mean, it wasn't I mean, it wasn't my thing. It was a good, catchy song, but right. these guys are making Buku money and publishing because it's in those movies. And it's been in other movies, too. But the record company is getting their little fat, greedy hands on a, a major chunk of this money just by being the administrator. And they've done really nothing. So what I tell artists is that if you're trying to get a deal, well, one, you just if you write it and you produce it and there's no record company involved, you are automatically the publisher. So start a publishing company. doesn't really cost a lot. It's really nothing, to be honest. And you now you are the publisher. So if at some point you get a record deal with a major label or a minor label or whatever, right. you now can negotiate that publishing. Now instead of giving up 100% of that publisher's share, you might give up maybe 10%, maybe 20 maybe 30 Who knows? But now that's a, a big chunk of income that you're getting back in your pocket. So you don't have to sell as many records. And the record company is designed where you're getting paid like 90, you know, it's, you're getting paid like 3% of the record. You know, 97% of that goes back into the music, to, to the label. So you're really getting screwed over from the, from the jump. So you might as well, you know, own your own publishing. Do own have as much ownership as possible. Because if you make enough noise as an independent, believe me, the major labels and there's only a few of them left, they'll come and find you. Somebody right. will come and say, hey, man, you got 80 million uh, views on YouTube. You're, you know, you're, you have millions of Twitter subscribers, Facebook. You know, we're looking at your sales. Um, iTunes has reported that you had, you sold, you know, 100,000 copies. Wow. 100,000 copies of the independent, you're a millionaire. Yeah. And, and, and more than just a million dollars. So, you know, these are the things that artists need to think about. But once again, if you don't understand the business that you're in, 
right. you're setting yourself up for failure. And that's when it goes back to, you know, why I got into um, education in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, to help people not be ignorant, because most people in, in the music industry and a lot of people who have hits are ignorant to how it works. It's a business. You know, Karis one has said this for, you know, the past 20 odd years. Oh, it's yeah. Business. Oh, it's yeah. It's a music business. You know, not the business music, it's the music business. It's a business. So with that being said, you have to be abreast of what's going on in this industry because you wouldn't be much of a plumber if you didn't know how to use an adjustable wrench. Yeah, I'm lying about that. You see what I'm saying? So how can you be, you know, a music entrepreneur or, or, or in the music business and you don't know how, where the money comes from? Mm hmm. So, I mean, hopefully that would, you know, that is summed it up for the audience. But, you know, I, I kind of. I mean, that was pretty. Bit, so. I, that's pretty good. I mean, and, and I say that because, um, you know, I had an opportunity to see. Uh, we had him on there, P. Frank Williams, who, who produces Unsung, which is on TV One. Um, and he did a piece with George Clinton. And it's just sad that basically all his publishing, he's getting nothing for all his old music, or most of it. Nothing. George I mean, Clinton. Talking, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's, he's got me. He's got 20, 25 albums, I believe. Most of them were platinum albums, and they're still selling mm-hmm. today. And people that sample that music, he's not getting paid. Yeah, he just yeah. Uh, got a settlement though, but which which is nothing. Yeah, but it's gonna be peanuts, man. He's yeah. they they're making so much money. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a machine to this day on just sampling. People sample mm-hmm. stuff yeah, well, all day. Yeah, I mean that was the whole West Coast sound at one point. You know, oh. the nineteen nineties West Coast sound was built on George Clinton's back. I mean, yep. it, it, the music industry is it, it is it's crazy, and I think. Uh, you know, and I'm a, a strong believer in the new copyright laws um, and more particularly uh, Creative Commons. Creative Commons is basically, you know, let, let's put it out there, let people use it the way they want to use it, but with regulation. And these are, here here are the rules. If you can follow this, you can use it for free. You, mm-hmm. you know, because what happened is that because the record companies made that line in the sand where, okay, we're going to keep, you know, the lion's share and we're going to make you poor and ignorant and the artists get, you know, this peanuts. So they've made us enemies of each other. So now, you know, George Clinton has to go after, you know, old people for his money because the record company treated him so poorly and they made him, you know, hate his own industry, so to speak. Now he has to go after guys who made his music relevant again because I'm big on sampling. And a lot of the times, there's some in cases where, you know, you know, P. Diddy and Hammer and a couple of people back in the day just kind of took the whole song. You know, I, I don't really, I'm not sorry for that. Loop, but I, but I am fond about, yeah, you know, they just take the whole song and just throw some new words on it. And like, okay, it was a hit already once, so it's going to hit again. I, I'm not okay with that. But what I am okay with is that, you know, if there wasn't sampling, I wouldn't, there would be no Supreme King. Because I'm not a musician, so... I was able to learn how to sample and take pieces of those songs that I loved and make my own creation out of that. Mm-hmm. So in some way, George Clinton should be grateful that these guys made his songs relevant. Again. Yes. Because they did. So there has to be some type of medium in, in, in there. And if he wasn't so 
you know, if he didn't get so screwed over by the record labels for many years, he would probably feel a little differently about the guys who sampled his stuff. Say, hey, okay, you know what? I know you guys made some money. You know, throw me a bone. It wouldn't be I have to go after you with a vengeance because now I have 20 years of, you know, bad choices and bad living to make up for financially. You know, it's cool. And that's what the whole Creative Commons is kind of dipped in. Like, hey, we, we you know, music should be shared and it, and these things should be shared. And they, and they very well should be, but with a certain amount of regulation where the artist has more control over what happens to their music, and more or less what happens to their success. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's where the new copyright laws are, are, are kind of, you know, what they're doing with the Creative Commons stuff. But more or less with the music and all of that, I think for artists, you have to, you gotta, you got to know the business. And that's really what it all boils down to. We all, You can only be taken advantage of once. If you let yourself get taken advantage of more than once in the same arena, you're a dummy. Yeah. I mean, literally, you, then you don't, you obviously don't take what you do seriously. I mean, if you're a football player and you get hit a certain way, you're going to make sure that you learn a maneuver that you don't get hit again. (laughs) Nobody would never make a touchdown, right? (laughs) That's that's a good way to put it. (laughs) And, 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 it's, it's, it's sad, you know, because you, you constantly run across, these stories and and like you said, but now there's no excuse because of books like your you know yours out there and just going out on the internet and just doing your doing your homework. So you know and tuning into shows like this, you know we we try to pass yeah. that information, that education that other people have you know achieved and say, hey, look, it's not good that I just keep it to myself. I have to pass that this, this, this along to the masses, so so they don't make the same mistake that you or someone else may have made. So it's it's good. I think one person who kind of uh, you know kind of foresaw that he was a victim somewhat, since we you know we're kind of getting into this kind of hot and heavy was Prince. I think he foresaw oh, that he, that you know I'm a slave here. They own own my name. They own a big portion of what I, my work, I'm going to put it on the Internet. I don't need them. I changed my name. Everybody laughed, but he laughed his way to the bank because all the money, he didn't have, like you said, he didn't have to go platinum to make millions of dollars. He already had his own name. (laughs) Everybody knows Prince. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what people don't understand is when a record goes platinum, they sold one million uh, copies, right? Mm-hmm. So if it only sold for a dollar, it would be $1 million. If it sold for $10, that's $10 million, right? So if you sold it for a dollar and a million people bought it, that's one, you know, that's $1 million, $10 million. So we're using that, that, that math. Well, if you're the artist and you only get three cents a record, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's so the record label has, you know, you they've got nine hundred and seventy thousand dollars. You got you made thirty thousand dollars because you sold a million records at one dollar a piece. So Prince, what what he did was brilliant because he already had a following. He already had, you know, um, built up his his fan base to the point where they would buy anything Prince makes, and Prince makes quality product. 
so at the end of the day, you know, he was right. Because, I mean, think about this for a second. When you buy a house, you go into a 30-year mortgage. At the end of that 30 years, you own the house. It may not be worth anything, or it may be worth more money than you paid for it. Who knows? But it's a gamble, but at the least at the end, you own it, right? That's right. Same with a car. Five-year loan at the end, the car ain't worth nothing, but you own it. Well, in the record business, you <laughs> go through all of that. They make don't money work. off of you throughout the whole time, and at the end, you don't own the masters. Which so is they crazy. own your stuff in perpetuity. So, you know, and, and the, the funny thing about it is, you know, think about this for a second. Before, back in the day when we were all teenagers, back in the 80s, well, take a step back. State. Take a step back for me, Suprema. Sorry to cut you off. When you say masters, what is that for the audience? I mean, we understand well, well, that myself. Ma- masters are masters are the master recordings, meaning the finished product. And when they say masters, it can be in a digital format. It can be in a tape format. That just means the comp- compilation of the finished album. Whatever whatever format it is, whether it's a CD, whether it's a digital file, whether it's a two inch piece of tape. The finished, polished version of your product. That's like if you took a book and you, you had a manuscript, but then you had a finished, bound book. So let's look at it as a bound book. They own that that book, and you can never do anything else with that book the rest of your life because they own it. So you can't go out and say, for example, the song, I like to move it, move it, right? Unless those guys from real to real own that. They could have never gotten it in the movie, Madagascar. Right. So they never would have made money. Now, mm-hmm. depending on what kind of deal they had with their record company, I don't even know who what record company it is. In fact, I need to research that myself. But whoever owns the masters, now if Real the Real, the, who is the group, if they own it, then they're getting some money. If the record company owns it, they're getting all the money. So whoever owns that master recording, that finished final product, is the person that's getting paid. So, for example, when we had cassettes back in the 80s, when we moved into the CD format, whoever signed a record deal back in the 80s before the CD was even conceived would not get paid unless their deal said, um, you know, for some reason it had some other language in it, but they would not get paid off the sales of the CD. So what happened is, if say, let's take, um, I don't know, George Clinton, for example, we were talking about it. George yep. Clinton put out something in, in 1980. You know, song X Y Z, song X Y Z, and that contract does it says we have the right to distribute and you know publish and distribute um, mediums, meaning different types of delivery, whether it's CD, whatever, that haven't been invented yet. And a lot of record contracts say that. So now we go into the 90s, and the CD is invented. Well. If George Clinton's deal did not say that he gets paid off of those entities, the record company can go back, take those old master recordings of the stuff made in the 80s, put it out on CD, make a mint, and George Clinton would not get a dime. Wow. Wow. Even though he 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 yep. he's written and produced all the music? I have wow. a friend. The only thing that he can get, the only like money that he can, and he can, and that's that's off of sales. Now, the only way that he could make money is, say, for example, the the music became relevant again. He can go out and perform it. But now they have these new deals called 360 deals, where the record company puts up more money and they get a part of your performance. Right. Money. They get part of your 
um, a bigger share of your publishing. They get part of your merchandising and your tour than if you get in the movie and if you do a, an appearance. So now they're getting their hands. It's called the 360 deal, and they're really getting 360 of your money. I mean, they're getting a piece of everything now, which I don't know who came up with that idea. <laughs> for the artist, but for the little guy, little guy's getting extra screwed. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're already getting screwed. Now you're getting screwed with no Vaseline. I mean, I just uh, <laughs> his words, not mine. Not nice you. It's unbelievable. But, you know that's, it, it, that's the reality of it, my friends. I mean, at the end of the day, you know they're looking for every opportunity to take the money out of your pocket. Wow, so, man, you just hit me in the head with. I have a friend. He's he's an old old cat from. Uh, the 60s, and uh, he was in a band when he was a teenager like the Beatles. And um, okay. he's been going through what you were just saying. His name is Spike, and I work with him. And the same deal that you were saying about, because, uh, you know, we had wax back in the 60s and 70s. And mm-hmm. yep. now he's got a CD that's out overseas, right, and he can't get nothing from it. And it's because of what you just said about the entities that wasn't even invented. Because he made it back when he was a teenager. He wrote and produced everything, his group. And it's selling like mm-hmm. hotcakes overseas right now. But he can't get a dime from it. Wow. It's and, unbelievable. And, yeah, and, and I couldn't understand the way he was explaining why he couldn't get anything until you just mentioned it. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Whoa. You just, I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's like you go out and you buy a car and you make a payments on it. And then at the end, when it's paid off, uh, the car company says, oh, no, nah, bro, we're going to go ahead and, you know, you were just renting it. Yeah, it was a rental. It was a rental. You didn't know I'm that? Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I was like, I appreciate that. Thanks. Boom, you know, that's like the, the life lease. Yeah. You ain't lying. And I think in the beginning, uh, and we'll drop these because, you know, people can relate to now, Jay-Z, when he cut that deal to be the president of Def Jam, his deal was to have his masters back 100 percent get his masters and i don't think i think people slept on that when i heard that i was like oh jay got oh, taken they, they, that was the smartest thing that he ever done i mean yeah. that that took his net worth through, through the stratosphere because now he can release that material and he can put out that greatest you know that greatest hits box set and sell a hundred thousand copies at you know 15 bucks a pop and you know take up because he owns it he can license it for movies. I mean, here's the thing. We only, the radio makes music irrelevant. That's what right. it does. It makes right. good music irrelevant because it plays the same thing, programmed music. I, and I was in the radio business for a little while, and I got out the day that the program director, and I'm not going to say the station, but it was a big station in Miami. I was mm-hmm. a, mix, a DJ on, on the station, and the radio um the programmer came in uh program director comes in and he gets this huge whiteboard like the side of the, a wall and writes he has like a, a list of 200 songs and he goes these are now the 200 approved songs for the mix show so i was a mix show dj so um i had no no never desired to be a radio dj you know in the prime time because that you know was controlled and and at this time there was no internet radio there was you know you had bootleg and you had college and you had you know, the major markets. So once you made this list of 200 approved songs, like That's your playlist. Show was like the, yeah, your mix show was like the last place you had freedom. 
That's right. And for a guy like me, that killed me because I was breaking um, hip-hop, and I was getting a bunch of reggae stuff, 45 sent to me from my people. It was sending them up from Jamaica. And um, I did work with a couple of artists in Jamaica and some uh, some big labels, and they were sending me up 45s every week. I'd have the acapella, and then I would do like a hip-hop version of the, of the song, and I would break them in my mix show. And nobody else was doing that at the time, so that just... You know, that just kind of killed my whole thing. The whole point for me being on radio doing the mix show was that I could promote myself as a DJ and a producer. Mm-hmm. Once you started telling me what I needed to play, it was all over. So that's why radio, you know, commercial radio kill kills relevant music because there's people out there that are fantastic and there's songs that never die. Like you put on Tom Brown, Jamaica Funk right now, I'm a while oh. out. Oh. You know, you know this, this hits that you don't get to hear that were just, you know, had a major impact on music, but they're stifled, they're on off stations, or they're played at strange times, and that's what the thing is with the with the music industry. It's so controlled from every possible angle. The radio, the radio stations want to tell you, oh, well, we don't, we don't do payola. That's complete garbage because right. I've seen it. Oh, I've yeah. seen it firsthand. I've witnessed this from hand to hand. I've, you know, I've been an executive at a lot of places that I've been involved in, and I've watched things go on. And I can tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that because the music is so controlled, you that's why you only get a certain amount of artists, certain artists are winning, certain artists are losing, and you have a lot of, you have thousands upon thousands of great artists with great music that never get any recognition because it is it's a controlled thing. And if you know, whatever, wherever the record company feels that they can make the most money off of, like if you can sign 10 Justin Biebers, they're going to sign 10 Justin Biebers. Oh, sure. No they doubt about, about it. Yeah, they don't care about nothing else. They don't care about, excuse me, they don't care about developing a fan base, building up anything, you know, nothing. It's quick, fast, you know, let's get this cash, let's get out of here because it might all end tomorrow. And, and, and for artists like your friend, um, you know, because he's signed to a deal where they can come up with, you know, let's say uh, Xeno format, something I just made up. So when Xeno format comes out in 2020, oh, they can re-release that same album again in Xeno format, and that's more money that they're going to make and less money he's going to make. And then put it in a movie and make the song relevant again. And you know, <laughs> and if he yeah, um, was a, a, yeah, and if it's a 360 artist, that's uh, these people out here signing these 360 deals. Now, you haven't toured in 20 years, but now you can go out touring again, and, and, and their stuff is selling in the Xeno format, but now I'm getting the record companies going to get money from your shows, and you may be doing a small venue where there's only, you know, a 1,000 people showed up, but record companies going to get some money. You might sell some T-shirts. They're going to get some money. Wow. So right. it is a pimp game all around. <laughs> there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. It is unbelievable, and, and and just kind of to chime in, we talked about the masters, uh, and, and some I'm, some people I'm sure know this, but I was amazed how Paul McCarthy and Michael Jackson, they were really tight back in the day. I mean, super tight. And and Mike came across this publishing that you're talking about, and how he came mm-hmm. across it was Paul McCarthy owned, uh, you know, a lot of publishing companies. And he, he, yeah. said, Mike, he, he goes, yo, I just got another fat check. And he goes, Mike said, yo, what are you talking about? He goes, yo, man, I didn't have to do nothing. I made, I don't know, I thought a number, $50 million. He's like, what? 
I didn't, you didn't have to do nothing. And he says, was this legal? Oh, yeah, everything's legal. I own, I own XYZ's music. And so, so Mike went ahead. He started buying up publishing people's, you know. And then he, the biggest one of all, was Paul McCartney's own music. When yes. he came, he yep. got behind Sony, got behind Mike. And Paul didn't have enough money to buy his own, you know, the Beatles publishing. And he bought it to this day. The estate owns, he had uh, half of it he had to sell, but he still owns half of the Beatles' works. So he makes his estate, yeah. makes millions and millions of dollars off Paul. And that's why since then they stopped talking ever since that happened. It's amazing. They, well, I can, put yeah. it, I can put it to you this way. Well, well go ahead. Go ahead there, Brad. No, I'll say he bought the whole catalog, the Beatles' catalog. And, and, yeah, he, um, bought, he bought the whole catalog, and like, they recently had to that. sell it before he died. He had to sell half of it just because of the debt. That Mike was coming yeah. up with, but that's the only reason why oh, he had Mike. to sell it. Yeah, well, the thing with that is, I I, I believe that I think Mike, um, his his estate, the weekend he died, probably made an excess of three hundred million dollars in publishing royalties, at where his music was playing on almost every station all day for like the, the whole weekend. You, you know what I'm saying? So there is a lot of value in owning the publishing. And this is what, you know, I try to explain to young people is that, I mean, I, for me, I remember, you know, getting a call at my mom's house and on a Sunday during an episode of um, in, uh, in Living Color. And that's why I remember it so much because, like, that was back when Living Color was hot. And mm-hmm. I got a call from this person from L.A. And I'm like, well, who are you? And they told me that they represented some company and they wanted to buy my publishing rights. They said that some of the other producers on the SWV's album sold their publishing rights. And I was like, no way. I'm like, I'm not selling my publishing rights. They offered me 30 grand. I'm like, yeah. I, now, at the time, don't think I was I was balling and I had no money. But I was like, right. 30 grand ain't a lot of money. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, I've, I've been in the street. I've seen 30 grand. 30 grand ain't nothing. I don't need 30 grand. I need 300 grand. You know, they if I could tell you straight up, if they would have told me 300, it would have been a done deal. <laughs> now it would be three million, but you know, at the time, I mean, I was in my young, you know, my early twenties, and I didn't have any sense, but I knew, you know, not to sell it. And uh, Sydney Crawford had a show called The House of Style on MTV, and she used uh, part of my song, like maybe ten seconds or fifteen seconds of my song, at the end of her show. And it like played every the whole season at the end of the show, and them checks were ridiculous. I think one check was like seventy grand. What wow. for one check? What you know? So uh, seventy grand. That's, yeah, yeah, that's when I get in the studio. I, I got to get in the studio with my man Supreme yeah. and whip up something. It's, it's, it's somebody to play that's, once. That's why I realized like the publishing thing was the way to go. I'm like, I'm not an artist, so I, I can't make money from performance. You know, I don't do that anymore. So. How do I make money? Well, it it was in a, it was on a TV show on MTV, and so when that check came in, I'm like, "What do you mean?" I thought it was like seven grand. You know, I kind of threw off to the side like seven grand, <laughs> and I opened it up. And my little sister said, "Hey, uh, dude, you know that's like seventy grand." I'm like, "Oh, from where?" <laughs> I put in and said, "Publisher, said my publishing company," and said, "MTV, Sydney Profit House Style." I'm like, "That's what's up." Wow. You know, of course, I want ballistic, but you know that's that's the, really the reality of it is. And you know, if you're an artist and you make really good music, 
you know, that's what you want to do. You want to get your music out there. You want to get it licensed. And if you're the publisher, you can control where it goes. I mean, there's a lot of companies that will work directly with, you know, the artist. If the artist is the publisher, you get it, you know, if it's a good song, you get it. Like, think about this, the Black Eyed Peas, um, I Got a Feeling. Yeah. After the ton of movies, um, stuff from their, you know, what was the other album that was, their other album that was real big. I can't think of the song, but um, yeah, I know what you're talking really, about. Really, really popular song, but it was in like one year. It was in like six movies. These guys caked out with the publishing. I mean, they probably could retire off of publishing checks alone. They didn't have to perform. They didn't, you know, they didn't have to worry about sales because you get money from three, three different places in the music industry: from performance, from publishing, mm. public performance, wherever it's played, and then you get it from mechanical royalties. Record selling, sales, mm-hmm. where where mm-hmm. is it selling? So if your record's not selling but it's playing everywhere, you're getting paid. If you're performing like rock groups and and non hip hop stuff, mm-hmm. people do shows that are huge and they get paid. Rappers, not so much. Nobody wants to book a show with rappers. Right. <laughs> somebody's gonna die. Somebody's gonna get shot up. I yep. mean, what was the movie with uh, Chris Rock? Um, <laughs> oh, it was the remake of Heaven Can't Wait. I think. Something to do with heaven, and you know, he said they went. Were, he was trying to get a new body, and he went to the ODB concert. To somebody got yeah, the boy, man. <laughs> and that's a reality. I mean, who, yeah. nobody wants to book rappers because it's a liability. I mean, put it, Chris, Chris Brown, and 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 Drake. You know, like really, you know, an R&B singer and a soft rapper get into like this bottle tossing match in a, in, a, in a club, and people get hurt. I mean, come on, really. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, if you're gonna, if it's just gonna be, I don't condone violence in any way. But if there's gonna be violence, could it be some man violence? You know, right. could we could we have a fist fight? You know, old fashioned gun gun duel. We're throwing bottles now, guys. Really, it's crazy. You're like so little girl to me and immature. And these are two millionaires, two brothers that are millionaires, tossing bottles at each other. So you know, the game, the game has changed. You know, so. And that's why people don't sign rappers to concerts and tours. It's that kind of foolishness. Yeah, it's not worth. It's not worth the hassle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, and, and, and and to get back to, to it, this is. I mean, this is why I do what I do. This is why you know I, I don't care if I make a dime from it. I love what I do. I'm, I'm about educating people and empowering them through education. I, you know, I I I am. Like I said, I. I I smoke my own. I smoke the stuff I sell, so to speak. I, you know, I, I went, took myself back to college, where after dropping out of college and being out of school for 20 years, and never thought there was no value in it. And you know, here I am working on a PhD. When you know, five years ago, I had no degree from anywhere. You know, and and I believe in that. You get a lot of enrichment out of educating yourself, because you know things that you don't think will apply to your craft find a way to enhance you. You know, you study political science, you're like, well, what does that got to do with hip-hop? Well, it has everything to do with hip-hop. You know, you sociology, things, you know, human, uh, you know, psychology, things of that, why people buy, why do people do what they do? Mm-hmm. And these are things that you will learn in school. So I, I, I tell people, it, you know, and I was in, the, in higher education as an executive for many years, and I can tell you, I've I started from the ground up, and I've enrolled, you know, people as old as my parents and older, 
and young people and old people and all people from all kinds of walks of life. And I can tell you that the benefit of educating yourself is only going to make you better at whatever your chosen vocation is. Wow. Well, that's a that's his powerful statement there. Very powerful. And, and, well, and, and seg- segmenting into that, you, you've, you know, got involved with the organization called PASS. Right. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, PATH is a Miami-based nonprofit organization, and you can find us at pathtohiphop.org. It's called Preserving, Archiving, and Teaching Hip-Hop. What we are is that we are a hip-hop pedagogy, and the word pedagogy is basically implies like youth education. It's, it's, it's basically a, a fancy word for teaching young people. Um, what we do with this is that we use the four core elements of hip-hop, which are breakdancing, uh, graffiti, DJing, and rapping, and we take those core elements and use those as tools to inspire youth, um, to give them self-esteem, self-awareness, teach them leadership skills, community activism, um, and more importantly, use that as an educational tool because a, a man named... Um, his name is Dr. Gardner, and if you guys want to Google it, uh, I can't remember what his first name is, but it's Dr. Gardner, and he has Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. And what that means is that that people, every person has a different way of being smart. Mm-hmm. Some people are good with their hands. Some people are good listeners. Some people are good at, you know, they understand, learn by reading. Some people learn by, you know, physically acting out whatever it is they're doing or they see it. They, you know, they're uh, uh, they have a nature intelligence where people are more in tune to, you know, how the grass grows and how to groom flowers and things. I mean, it, it gets real deep. But the underlying um, point is that everybody is in the world in a different way, and you learn in a different way. And the school system, United States school system, is based off of a left brain learning system. So it's taught by left-brain-dominant people teaching a left-brain-dominant style. The mm-hmm. problem is for people who are African-American or just minorities of uh, African descent, whether it be Hispanic and they come from, you know, down the line, that African gene somewhere. In fact, we all come from that. I mean, people yep. disagree, but, you know, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Prove that, to prove that to be true. So, yep. you know, data is data. But at the end of the day, Black people, black men more particularly, we have a tendency of being more right brain dominant. We, we're more visual, creative, hands-on people. And if you're lecturing to us or you're expecting us to read something, um, we're not really going to get it. But if you show us, we get it. And the other thing is that being a, a right brain learner, you're, you're a person that doesn't have to go from A to B to C to get to D. You can go from A to D. You don't, you don't care about the in-between part, you just know how to get from A to D, and isn't getting to D the point. Mm-hmm. See, the school system won't recognize that. They say that there's something wrong. So when you get scratched the surface and get deep into what we're doing, is that we're using things like breakdancing, which is called uh, a body kinesthetic um, intelligence, that we're using the mechanics of moving and motion to apply that. We can apply that to physics. The same, you know, way your body moves is the same way you would put together uh, a machine. That's mm. how why we how we have to make robots to do things because for how things work in nature and you know um visual components. So we take all of these 
key elements of break dance, I mean of uh, hip hop, and apply that to an educational component where we may take rapping to teach Shakespeare or DJing to, to do music appreciation for, you know, open up you know, your mind to different types of music. So there's all kinds of different things that we use. And, and the cool thing about this is that it not only benefits the students and the participants, but it benefits the educators teaching it because in the classroom, teachers really, they're competing with a lot. You know, they're competing with children who are underfed, children who have, you know, uh, they don't spend enough time with their parents, they have a rocky household. You know, they may have, that family might have money, but their parents are never home. So yep. there's always something. There's no perfect child. But at the end of the day, we set our kids up for failure because in the home, they have computers. They have, you know, iPods and iPads and Xboxes and all kinds of other stuff. When you put them in the classroom, they got a book, a piece of paper, and somebody lecturing at that. So it's hard when they're dealing with all that external stimuli when they get out into the classroom to function. So we use hip-hop with the with, with uh, educators, so now, now they have another tool in their tool belt to reach these kids. And that's really what it is. It's it's dynamic impact. Because at the end of the day, English is English. Right. When you learn the ABCs, it's the ABCs. No matter how you cut it up, it's the ABCs. But it's the delivery method that counts. And that's what's good. If you're just tuning in... I'm sorry. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the LC and Jack radio show. My man, Brad, and our guest of this evening is the man in charge. Loving to death. He's doing his thing is Mr. Supreme Aaron King, who's dropping his knowledge on, on from being an author to being a producer to uh, all different facets of, of the music business. So uh, I'm sorry, Supreme, for, for jumping in on you. But, oh no doubt, no doubt it's your show, brother. I'm here to serve. No, no, that's it's all good, and 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 that's why I was kind of you know um, you know when I had, you know found out the different things that you're doing and you know about with Path specifically. I tell you, it was you know it touches just to find out about individuals. Hey, they've been successful uh, in music or whatever. And, but just to see how they're giving back to the community, I really that's really the aim of this show. Um, obviously, we'd, we'd love uh, to get the big name, you know, people like yourself on. But it's really all facets of people because people make the world go round. It makes the world what it is today, and it makes it does make the you know the world a better place uh, for doing things like this, like Path and a lot of other organizations out there that are. Are trying to educate and, and and really, you know, make this for our children so much of a you know better world for us to live in. Not even you know a local you know and here and in the United States because everything now is so global. So it's yeah, it's, the world has definitely become a smaller place. There's no doubt about it. So I mean, what what path? Where, where's path? I guess it's continuing to teach in the, you know, our youth. Well, what's the kind of the next step for PATH, in, in your opinion? Well, well, first, we're located in Miami, and this is something I didn't mention before, is that uh, we, um, we every summer we run a summer camp, and it's a free summer camp. We provide, you know, uh, lunch and, and whatnot and snacks. 
but um, more or less, you know, each each uh, student chooses their path. And when we say choose their path, they decide, you know, which element. They can explore all four elements, but they can choose an element that they want to kind of, you know, base themselves in. And what they start off is with a history of the chosen vocation. So if it's graffiti, you know, they get a history of graffiti and then, you know, their final product, because everything is project-based. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll work on a project that is has a community service um, aspect to it. For example, say if they choose graffiti, once they learn the history of it, they start working with some of the practitioners and, and um, what we call our past masters. Um, they, they may do like a, a poster for Red Cross, whereas the you know rappers may work with you know they may they may do a rap for Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So everything that we do, it you know it has an outcome. It's a project based thing. So each of these students that come in, they learn the craft, but at the end of the end they have to present a project, and it has to be a community service project. So this way they stay connected to what's really going on, and they really are making a difference. I mean, we were just given um, the science. Uh, Last week, Defy, which is an organization out of Miami, gave us their um, uh, Community Service Partner of the Year Award. And, and nice. I think, you know, this is great for us because, I mean, I'm the chairman of the organization, and I got involved as a guest practitioner. You know, I would come in and, you know, do some lectures and stuff and interact with stuff, teach the kids, you know, um, you know, how to make beats and talk about the music industry and stuff. And I think out of all the you know, platinum records and other accolades that I've gotten, getting a certificate from PASS was like the best thing for me because I got to see the kids and, and be mm-hmm. with the kids. And the kids are awesome. I mean, we've had kids that graduated the program that come back and, you know, they, they're, they're doing awesome in college and they want to, you know, help out the younger kids and they have great ideas. And, you know, it's really a good thing that we're doing because we're finding something for them to do that, Otherwise, they could be doing something, you know, that's destructive. Yep. Yeah, so, um, you know, if anybody's interested, we're, we're also taking donations right now for um, our summer camp. They can go to pathtohiphop.org and just check out the site and, you know, read a little bit about myself. Um, Jerry Heller, of uh, he was uh, part of, you know, Own Ruthless Records back in the day with Easy e He sits on our board of directors. Um, Maceo from De La Soul, um, Victor Antonio, oh, who's a big, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. yeah Maceo, um, uh, God, Grandmaster D from Houdini, mm-hmm. uh, so on the board of directors, and Victor Antonio, who is like this sales marketing, you know, guru, you know, and literally the guru. Um, I mean, if you Google Victor Antonio Atlanta. I mean, you, you, you'll be spending weeks, you know, trying to look at all the things that he's into and doing. But, you know, we have a lot of really good people, very knowledgeable of hip-hop, knowledgeable of business, and involved in the organization. And the organization is ran by a guy named um, Seth Brimstone Shear and his wife, uh, Natalie Lewis Shear. And there are a couple that, you know, Brim was a rapper and a local artist in um, – in, in Miami, and the cool thing about it is he was a Jewish kid that grew up kind of, like, and made a niche for himself doing a real, like, organic hip-hop. You mm-hmm. know, never, he, he didn't want to be a Vanilla Ice or any of those guys. He wanted to be, you know, a real hip-hop artist, and he learned the craft, and he 
from DJing to break dancing. I mean, he went through the ranks. And the guy is kind of like a, I want to say a legend, but he's a well-known, you know, icon in, you know, what we call organic hip-hop here in Miami. Right. So it was on like a natural progression, and this was his, you know, this was his baby. You know, so him and his wife are the executive directors of the organization, and, you know, I've been friends with them a few years and helping them out, and I came on as a board of directors about a year ago, and then in this past January, I became the chairman. So, you know, it's it, it's just, it embodies everything that I'm doing. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, if you don't teach the, these kids, you know, another way, then there's, you know, the streets are sitting, the streets are waiting outside, ready to recruit. Yep. And, and there's and only so many. The there's only so many prisons out there. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, and, and yeah, and to me, once you get in in the system, it's all over. So you know, we got to do yeah. kind of keep them out, like you said, keep it positive. And it, when they, I think it's big too when you know, it, if it all types of races, when you see somebody of your origin, whether you're African American, you're Jewish, whatever, and you see those people. Uh, that they are successful, and you're like, wow, I can do this. If I'm from the hood, I'm black, and I have negativity around me, but if I hear about, you know, a Supreme, you know, a gentleman named Supreme King that, you know, is writing books, and he's he's produced music, and he's done a lot of things, and he had a lot of challenges like me, and he looks like me, wow, I can do it. You know, even if he can't have access to you, you know your access is 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 your is is your music and and, and your and your books. Yeah, you know, that's kind of your legacy. Yeah. So people can always, you know, and, and you don't even realize as us as individuals how many people we touch. You just don't know. So it's well, you know, that's funny that you said that because I was told one day by a guy who didn't know me, just kind of walked up to me and said, hey, you know what, I see something in you. And it scared me because it was a little weird. But he says, you never know when your testimony is going to affect someone else in a positive way. He said, whatever you're doing, brother, keep on doing what you're doing. And I didn't know him. I didn't know anything about him. He never knew him before. He just kind of comes up to me and says this. And it kind of dawned on me that, you know, we, we say access. People, you know, I'm an open book. You ask me, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you no story about it. I'm probably, I'm, sometimes I'm, you know, honest to fault. Um, but, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I do. But, like, anybody who wants to talk to me, reach out to me, asking for my, you know, advice, you know, that's what I'm here to do, you know. So, you know, they can reach me. I mean, Google Supreme King, and I'm not hard to find. I'm not, you know, I'm... I'm here, and the thing is, I tell people, join my Facebook page, you know, and I whatever you want. You ask me advice, I'll give you advice. You, you need, you know, you need to connect, I'll give you to connect. You need a, a book, I'll send you a book. I mean, if you want to spend money and buy a book, that's great. I mean, I appreciate that, and believe me, you're helping my family and my kids you go to college. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, if I could help you now, you might be able to help them later. Yeah, that's Who knows? Or help somebody. That's what's good, man. Uh, that's that's what's good, and that's that's what we like doing. This supreme is being able to get this information out to the masses. It's a beautiful thing, and you know, getting individuals like yourself to share it, and we have a basically a way to get it out to the masses. So it's it's a win-win. It's a win for uh, everybody all the way around. 
And I tell you, you've been fabulous uh, sharing. I mean, we could go on for a long time about uh, a lot of things that you're into. But I will say, but I will want to ask you this, and I'll circle back with my partner, see if he's got anything for you. What what's what's next for you? Got a lot going on, but what's next? Well, um, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, I'm working on a couple of new book ideas. I'm actually working on a book. Um, well, which it, it, let me backtrack a little bit. I'm working on a. When I was doing my master's degree, I created a course, a music business one on one course. Um, I have a background, like I said, in higher education. Instructional design, higher ed admissions, and um, recruiting and marketing. So I know how to get students, keep students, and make money in that arena. But what I what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a school based on the guy who reads my books. You know, on I, I know my demographic, and to a point where I can draw you a picture of what the guy looks like who buys my books. You know, where he lives and <laughs> what he makes and what he does. Uh huh. His girlfriend and his friends and his children and the whole nine. And I wanted to create a school on that based off of the idea that I did in, in my graduate program. So I came up with um, an idea for Music Business Guru Academy. Because people started calling me the music music business guru, which I thought was kind of, you know, weird. But, you know, I, I, took, I liked it. So I, I came up with Music Business Guru Academy. And then I said, well, I'm going to launch a course that's very, very low cost where anybody can afford it to get the like from a what they call an andragogy um, model, which is an adult learning theory that says adults only want to learn what's going to help them today make more money. They don't care about anything else, but what can help me today get a raise, get a promotion, put more food on the table. That's what they want to know. So mm -hmm. I stripped down my music business 101 course to just what we, you know, you know, dude who's sitting in the studio trying to get his game on, get his game right, what does he want to know? So with that, I've kind of discovered, well, not just, it's not really about me being just learning the music business, it's about being an entrepreneur. So I wrote a course called Digital Music Entrepreneur, and I'm going to be launching my school, Music Business Guru Academy, which is an online music um, business and production school, very, mm -hmm. very low cost, anybody can afford it, I got all kinds of simple payment terms. I can't give it away for free, but I'm going to give away as much free as I possibly can. Right. Just, just you know, obviously costs. Costs. You know, having to teach the courses and all of that. But um, I'm doing this course called Digital Music Entrepreneur and working on maybe getting some certification for it through um, one of the local universities here in Florida. And I think it's a good thing for people who you know can't afford to go to Full Sail University, which is like. 60 to 80 grand or, um, you know, Art Institute, which is around the same price. And some of these other high-priced schools like Berkeley School of Music, they're great and they're awesome schools for the people who have that wherewithal to do it. But for my guy, my audience, the guy who spent 20 bucks on, or, or less on my book, he's just trying to get what he can get so he can make some money. So, you know, I'm not going to hit him over the head. I'm going to give him what he needs to know and keep him abreast. So once you become a member of my school, it's lifelong learning. So right. if there's new information, you're you're once you pay and you, you finish, you're in, you're you're hooked in forever. So oh, that's if you want to promote through the school, if you want to learn more stuff, if you want to take the course over, if there's new content, you're still in. And and that's really what the next big thing for me and then with the book, the textbook is actually called um 
music is a business. Uh, the art of, I think, what is the art of digital, the art of being a digital entre- digital music entrepreneur, something like that. It's, it's, the title is in progress, but but the book is almost written. So I'm kind of working on that, and um, you know, taking my organization path to the next level where we can get into all the school systems in the United States as a uh, continuing education for teachers. So, right. I mean, it, it's a lot of things, but, you know, that and obviously being a good father and a good husband and, you know, other than those things and a good human being, obviously, um, <laughs> that's what I got going on. Well, that's what's good, man. Trying to, and, and, and the old time it told me back in the day, you got to take care of home first. So, oh, most definitely. You know, uh, I can take that as a fact. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, gotta take care of home, and I understand that so vividly now. Being a father like yourself, you just it comes full circle. So I, I tell you, man, you have those grandparents, those uncles, those those people that are older than you, and they, they drop some information, and it may not resonate right now with you, but it, I tell you, as you start to learn and educate yourself more and more, you're like, wow. Uh, he just dropped a bomb on me, and at that time, it didn't really hit me. Now it hits me. And, oh, yeah, uh, I can agree with that. Yeah, you know, so it's, I tell you, man, it, life, you're constantly learning something every day, trying to learn something. And, you know, like my parents used to tell me and people tell me, you know, when I was young, read as much as you can, and you basically said that, educate yourself, mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, you just... The smarter you can get, you can never be smart enough. I guess I'll put it that way. You never know it all. No one ever knows it all. But um, you just can make better informed decisions. So it's, oh, man, you got me started. <laughs> you, got, you got me started, Supreme, okay? But, hey, Brad, you got anything uh, I'm, I'm for Supreme? I'm here to plant the seed. I'm here to plant the seed. <laughs> well, 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 that that um, beanstalk has already grown like ten feet, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> wow. that's for sure, man. I, I really appreciate the knowledge, and um, you know, you're gonna have a new Facebook friend tonight, and uh, I want to send you over. Some, I'm gonna send you some fundraising information and see if uh, we can do something for your nonprofit organization because I'm big on that. So, um, you know, yeah, we both are definitely yes, sir. big on that. Go ahead, there, Brett. Yeah, I appreciate the knowledge. I appreciate though. that. That's, yeah, that's about right away, you know, that, that's 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 what I was put on the earth to do. You know, to, to share what I know. You know, share share what I know and help other people. Um, you know, fulfill their dreams. So at the end of the day, I'm gonna get my blessings by helping the people get theirs first. So yeah, we're gonna it's all put good, some people. You know? We're gonna put some misinformed people in your direction, and, and you know, because you know, like <laughs> me and Elsie, you know, sometimes we got people that. They look up to us, but they don't listen to us. You know what I'm saying? So we need that third party to give them some kind yeah. of direction. You know, we're gonna forward this uh, this uh, podcast to them and let them check it out, and you know, and they can tell it for themselves. You know, wow, I need to listen to this brother. You know what I'm saying? That's it, and and more That'll importantly, support support it too. You know, yes, I, I think us as people, a lot of times we expect to get something for nothing, mm-hmm. and you know what? You've done a lot of the hard work, but definitely go out and support them. Mm-hmm. Buy the book. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we live in we live in the world of, of freemiums, and you know the internet has made it where people automatically expect free. And you know, I look at it from this, you know, this perspective. If you feel 
so inclined to, you know, get my, my stuff for free, I'll, I'll, I'll accommodate you. I'll give you what you want for free. But at the same time, if you if you find value in it, then, yeah, then you should, you know, feel like you should make a contribution. Now, you're not obligated to do it, but, you know, that says a lot about who you are as a person. Because right. there, in, in life, there is no free lunches. No matter no. what, you know, everything costs somebody something at some time. Right. But, you know, like I said, I, I support. So, you know, if a person can't legitimately um, afford it, I'll, you know, I'll hook it up. I'll give it to you. But at the same time, even if, you know, I, I don't I don't have time to filter who's who's lying and who's telling the truth. So I give, you know, I'll give it away for free. But at the end of the day, that person has to live with themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that says a lot for them as to who they are. You know, mm-hmm. and that should be really... Really, what it what it what it's all about at the end of the day, you know, you can lie to man, but you can't lie to God. Yeah, right. or yourself, you know, because that's, yeah. that's something you carry around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, if you, if you got something out of it and you got over, well, great for you, fantastic. I just you know hope that you um, give it to somebody that can can benefit from it as well. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's all good, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what's good. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. And, and again, uh, Supreme. To pass out the information in regards to PATH so people can reach out if they want to make donations or get further information, please give that website information. Yeah, it's uh, PATH to Hip Hop. PATH to Hip Hop, P A T H to H I P H O P dot org. Uh, we're easy to find. You can just type in PATH to Hip Hop in Google, it'll come up. Um, to find me, I have uh, 50 million websites, so the best. Uh, place to find me. Yeah, I really do. I own like probably eighty URL links. Uh, the best, the best another way to find business. Me is, yeah, to find me on uh, Facebook, just go to uh, Supreme King, S A H P R E E M A King. And if you look, uh, if you go to Facebook, you'll find me. I got on a, a, a suit. I, I like I like to wear suits even though I'm hip hop. So you'll see me in your picture at the avatar. The executive, the executive uh, hip hop. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you, I got on a suit, so you you check me out and you, you say, hey, is that the damn guy? Yes, because you know, hip hop, you have to have multiple faces to go with your multiple hustles. You know, right. you can't expect. You know, back in the day, just I'll leave you all with this little funny story. Back in the day, I used to be a partner in a gym. And uh, I was working there on the weekend. Everybody who was a partner had a shift because we had a, kind of just started it up. And this young brother came in and he said, uh, hey, what up, dog? Y'all, beep, N-word, hiring? And wow. I looked at him and said, wow, man. I was like, shot. And, you know, that's the mentality of a lot of young people today. It's like, you know, you need to be in the uniform of the person of the job that you want to be in. Yes. If you want to be the guy with the shirt and tie on, then you come to work with the shirt and tie on. If you come to work 30 minutes earlier than everybody else, you stay 30 minutes later, you volunteer for the jobs that nobody wants, and then you become the guy with the shirt and tie. I can tell you, I mean, we could talk forever, but I can tell you how to become an executive without having a college degree, because I've done it. Mm-hmm. You know, by being the guy who showed up on time, in the you know in the military we used to say right uniform right time right place doing the right thing and that's mm-hmm. really what life is about it's about half of it is showing up that's right you know and, and and that's why you know when you see my Facebook page you'll see an advertisement for my book surviving the game um, how to succeed in the music business but you'll see in my photo I'm in a suit 
because you have to be able to do both. Right. You know, I, I got lots of record deals just by showing up in a suit. When they expected me to have on a fitted, you know, and some Tim's, I was in a suit. That's right. And people, you know, they're, they're, they're taken aback. They're like, wow, this guy is about business. And I didn't talk like, yo, son, and all of that, and, you know, you know, my dog and all of that other foolishness. I spoke the king's English because the man writing the check speaks the mm -hmm. king's English. He don't care how much I'm keeping it real. He's keeping it profitable. That's what's so good. He wants to know I'm speaking the language of money. So that's what people, you know, and if anybody's listening uh, at this point to this information, I'm saying, you know, you got to wear the hat of, you know, if you want to be in, in this certain space, you got to know what those people in that space do. How do they act? What? How do they dress? How do they talk? And you assimilate, and then you grow in that space and get to where you want to be. You're not mm -hmm. going to get to where you want to be being the outsider making fun. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's just what I want to talk about is that as far as, you know, just people ought to, at the end of the day, believe in themselves. In life, you have dreamers and you have believers. Believers get out there and make it happen. Dreamers just dream about it. They have great dreams, but you can't, you know, unless you wake up, you ain't nothing's gonna happen. Right. So you gotta believe. You gotta be a believer. You know, being a dreamer, okay, that's great, but you gotta be a believer. Believe in yourself and know one thing. And this is the last thing I want to share with the audience is that no matter what you do, you're gonna fail the first time. So the pressure should be off right now. I'm taking all off the pressure. You are going to fail at anything you do for the first time. It is a, a less than one percent of people do something great the first time out. Right. But if you don't quit and you keep at it, you're going to get better and better. But if if you know that you're going to fail the first time, there's no pressure. That's why I do so many things because at the end of the day, I don't care if I fail. In fact, I'm looking to fail because the faster I fail, the faster I get to where I want to be. Wow. They just dropped the knowledge on us and the audience. And with that there, my brother... We're going to wrap it, but we definitely want to circle back with you sometime in the near future. Uh, I tell you, we just don't have I, enough I time today, but I mean, <laughs> we could vibe and, and pass on. So we're definitely going to, again, circle back. I know you'll have some new things coming out with the school, and so we definitely will be in contact with you and have you have you back on. So we appreciate oh, for you definitely. for spending some time with LC, uh, my man, Brett. Yes, sir. And we... I'm not going to say wish you. We, we continue success in all future endeavors. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.